Clear. background noise throughout the day but it's just airplanes so it's not it's, it's not really noise. good background noise yeah right. this is this is the best seat in the house that's right we got sky riders now we got sky riders, we got sky riders now. now does that say you cap i can't it's got a runway in the front yard <laughs> and you're in sight clear left turkey national ground good afternoon sir taxi via foxtrot and alpha Yeah, really. I, I, I like pancakes, sausage, hash browns. Well, we're this... going to do that after the podcast. You mean they haven't fed you already, uh, Amy? No. Can you believe that? I mean, Man. the nerve. That's we got, we just got a light so... start. We did. It, and it wasn't my fault, no, just so no. you know. I'm t- Jack and I got a light start this Yeah, morning. I pedaled. Man. She was on time. I was Was it into the wind in the kit box? It was this morning, 65 knots I was making or something like that across the ground. And that's just a guess because the HP IPAC battery circa 2004 was quite reluctant to fire up this morning. So I did it uh, dead reckoning, 330. From 94 Fox Lima all the way to 22 Fox Alpha. Having flown? 94 Fox Lima. Yeah. I'm nine. sure that's not in any of my databases. Uh, not if you have a Garmin. 22 <laughs> FA is not in my databases. Yeah, see, now 22 <laughs> FA is both in my database. It, anywhere Maps got all of them, and yeah. so does, um, God bless him, Greg, with uh, Grand Rapids. Really? Technologies puts all the private airports in there, but Garmin <clears throat> doesn't want to do it. Because I guess of liability. I think that's their answer, and they're sticking to it. Well, so wait a minute. Hey, All right, hang on. We're gonna come back to that. It, it, blame it on Jeppesen if you blame it on anybody. That's right. Okay. That's, that's right. what I was about that's to say. That if they don't. Thing. I can't imagine Garmin maintains the database. Ah, uh, no, but Garmin will tell. I, I suppose there Garmin may be check boxes on the. Uh, yeah. Um, Jeppesen, what they want or don't want yeah. in the database. Come, come on, Jeppesen makes VFR charts now, and yep. everything's on the VFR chart. Is that bothering you if I make it a little closer? No, it's not going to bother me at all. Okay. Uh, that's, have you heard of Jeppesen Whiteout? That's no. for eliminating all those problem airspaces and airports that you don't uh, want. <laughs> it's downloaded, point and click, and it whites out. Unlike Northeast Whiteout, which has to do with weather. Right. <laughs> How's your weather these days, anyway? Mine? Wichita? Yeah. All right, everybody stop talking about this stuff. I'm sorry. Stand by just a moment here, because we're going to save this kind of good stuff. for. Um... Oh, I thought we were on. <laughs> oh, maybe we were, actually. Maybe well, we were. No one's, no one's saying anything that we wouldn't want repeated. No. All right, then what were we talking about? <laughs> Speed. Uh, is the tape is 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 the reel up to speed? Oh yeah, we're rolling. We're rolling. We're ah, good. Okay. Yeah. okay. So, uh, um, well, it's, it's working on severe clear here. So, and yesterday it stopped just short of sixty degrees. So, wow. No. They. Uh, it's a friend of mine up in Boston sent me a picture yesterday or a couple of days ago uh, <laughs> showing like two feet of snow on the ground in Boston and. Uh, so and Jeb's just shaking his head. <laughs> He's going. Well, Philly got 17 inches. Uh, New York got 18. Uh, DC got about eight. Uh-huh. Uh huh. 
Well, Amy was just telling us a story, which I don't think we had started when you were telling this yeah. story, um, about a friend who returned uh, home to Portsmouth, New Hampshire just recently to find her snow, her car in the parking lot under two feet of snow. And, and I can believe that. That's what it snowed there in the last couple of weeks. I mean, just before I left, it snowed a foot. And since I've been down here, it snowed like three really significant snowstorms. I, I was gonna, I was talking Amy's talking friend is lucky to have found a sucker. My, my friend is a Citation Air Captain, and she actually spent the weekend in Fort Myers last weekend. Smart girl. Yeah, yeah. Very smart girl. Jeff, what? I was talking to a friend of mine last night. He was saying, yeah, they had a bunch of snow in New York, and it would have set a record, except for the last snowfall they got. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, and I remember New York in the years of the garbage strikes mm-hmm. and the big snows of the 80s. And I can tell you that there ain't nothing to make a garbage strike go away better than a big snow. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Well, at least it holds down the aroma. Yeah. Well, the aroma, it actually makes the big black bag piles go away. Exactly. <laughs> Things get a little confused. A lot of stuff ends up in the bay that maybe shouldn't have, but... <laughs> you know, about two, three years ago, I changed the format of the podcast, and I, put, I, I intentionally put a bit at the very beginning where we talk about airplanes, um, because... We were talking too much about weather? Listeners used to complain <laughs> that we started the podcast talking about weather, and oops, we started the podcast talking about weather. Um, but that's only because I didn't realize we had started. So, uh, um, Well, if you want to like weather to GA... Yeah. Oh, man, this weather's got to be killing the flying up there because, you see, you know, the, the air carrier airports are having trouble keeping up with removal. Imagine some of these smaller strips where they depend solely on thermal snow reduction systems. <laughs> That's a nice called, way called to put it. Called warm weather. <laughs> yeah, well, they all convert over to ski plane uh, stuff this time of year. It's a good argument for calling up the folks at Whip Air and saying, uh, could you cross-country some skis out to me? Yeah. Here's the aviation story I wanted to start with. There's a, I'm looking at a, at a story from uh, my newest favorite aviation publication, the Huffington Post, uh, that has a, uh, a story called In- Incredible Planes from the Future. I think, I think both Dave and I put this story on the list. And uh, so this is your basic, you know, kind of roundup of, uh, of mostly um, way in the, the future. What kind? Pie in the sky. Mostly pie in the sky um, uh, airplanes. What do we got here? Let's see. The first one is this MIT concept plane, which sort of is a traditional configuration, a wider, bo- a much wider body, but three side-by-side engines mounted between twin, tin, twin tails. So that one's kind of interesting. Easy for you to say. Yeah, I know. No, not really. Um, and actually, I'm way at the beginning, in the middle of the list here. Let's see if I can go back to the beginning of the list. So we got this NASA solar flapper that really looks bizarre. It looks like a well, flying... You know- the first yeah. glance, the NASA solar flapper, I thought, was something you picked up on the woman's hygiene aisle. Honest to God. <laughs> I'm not even going to go there. No. <laughs> Just because it has wings, honey, and it's as, flexible. As I said well, before. The, the, the Jap, J- Japan Airlines concept is, looks like something a uh, bartender stuck in one of my drinks one day. I was going to say it looks like a, um, something you'd fire out of a cannon or something. 
Yeah, no, this one looks like this one looks like a ship from like the Cylons from Battlestar Galactica. Or I something. find it fascinating they threw the icon in there. Well, and I'm getting to that here. So that's the third one on the list. Let's come to this. the third one. On the list is NASA's Puffin, which is kind of cool, but um, this is the one we talked we talked about this on a past podcast. Mm-hmm. All right, um, you kind of stand up in this thing, and it's got dual twin props, uh, uh, sort of. And when it's on the ground, it's kind of standing up straight, and then you launch. And and anyways, I'm not describing it well, but it's roll the, over. Yeah, the the. NASA Puffin. Um, and then the next one is an Airbus concept that's sort of basically a traditional configuration, although it's got a funky tail um, that, that looks kind of weird. Right. It embeds the engines uh, in... Okay, yeah, that's true. That's it, got- it, it, it enters out of the fuselage, rem- reminiscent of some... Uh- Experimental aircraft yep. we've seen over the true, true. Yeah, there's nothing that wouldn't make that fly. I agree right. with you. Now we've crossed the line. The next one is the uh, flying saucer. Um, I don't even know who is whose design is this. The Clean Era Project, Delft My- University of Technology in the Netherlands. Um, pa- paging Michael Rennie. Paging Michael Rennie. Yeah, I know. It looks just. I mean, literally, it's been found off the Washington Mall. Yeah, literally a flying saucer. Oh. Uh, I'm going to skip the next two. I'm going to jump ahead to the MIT no-noise aircraft, which uh, is sort of a Delta Wing-ish kind of thing. All it's right. like a flattened B-1 bomber. No, you're skipping the next two just well, because we're gonna come close back. to real. No, no, we're going to come back to those and talk okay. to those. It's sort of the big finish, all right? Lux- luxury blimp. Luxury blimp. I like the blimp. I think the blimp's a brilliant idea. Yeah? I mean, forget the Queen Mary. Why not go buy blimp? I think it would be great. I think it would be terrific. If it weren't for that Hindenburg thing, we'd probably have blimps today. Oh, I agree with you. I agree with you wholeheartedly because they... Well, we do have... We have Zeppelins today. Yeah, but they... That's... that's but I agree with They're you. very, it's very special applications, all right? It's we would novelty. have We would have blimps in much more everyday passenger-carrying... I think we would. This segues right into whether the the dome is going to be open or closed for the Dallas game, but we won't go there yet. <laughs> it's, oh, oh, it's, oh, it's a TSA thing. Oh, yeah. I oh, we're covering are. so they, much ground yeah. here. Yeah, I like I it. Mean, okay. You you went to blimps. Yeah. You went blimps. to blimps. How did how did we get from blimps to TSA through football? Because, because she's the sig- Super Bowl. Because there was that movie uh, on Bloody Sunday on any Sunday or uh, what's no, the name of that movie? Uh, Black, uh, Sunday. Black, Black Sunday. Black Sunday. Black right. Sunday. Yeah, where they you had a blimp that was going to attack the Super Bowl in an open stadium, right? At, that know. Black yeah. Sunday. That's the one where you bet on the Colts three times <laughs> after they were out of the playoffs. Now you just sound like you're in post-traumatic stress. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, let's see now. Next one on the list is the MIT concept, one that I talked about earlier when I was already in the midst of the list. And then the last one on their list is the Samson Switchblade, which is kind of a – is that a flying car kind it's of thing? Yeah, I think be, it is. Yeah. It, uh, well, he, I've never heard he, of that one before. Yeah. No, yeah, that guy showed up talking about that at uh, Air Venture, I don't know, two or three years ago. Were they? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but, but he got stopped by TSA because they said he couldn't fly a, a deadly weapon. So, <laughs> well, they they couldn't drive any closer than two hundred feet to the terminal, too. So, yeah. yeah. There you go. Anyways, going back to the two that I skipped over, uh, the Icon A five is in their list, and quite frankly, this doesn't fit in their list because it's too real an airplane. Um, it's uh, has the Icon A five actually flown yet? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the, yeah. the prototype yeah. of it has. It has, okay. Yeah, they've gone through actually a couple prototyping um, uh, rounds. So who wants to describe what the Icon A5 is all about? Jeb, it's sort of your, your, boot, your uh, thing these I'm, days. I'm not a, <clears throat> I'm not a big uh, 
Uh, I'm not a specialist on the Icon A5. Basically, the Icon A5 is a... Um, but it's an Amphib, right? It's an Amphib. Mm-hmm. It's an LSA, and it has foldable wings. Uh, I think the concept is you can trailer at home. Okay, it's not right. rotable. Or there. It's not rotable in terms of being able to operate, to drive itself. Right, right. Oh. Uh, but the wings fold, and it, it, uh, I think you can tow it. Um, I, I don't know if you can tow it on its own wheels or if it, it's, uh, it needs a trailer or something. I've seen video or pictures <coughs> of it being towed or towable. Yep. I don't know what the correct answer is. Yep. So they've got the Icon A5 as being one of the uh, planes of the future. And then the one that I kind of really wanted to talk about here is uh, the Terrafugia Transition is mm-hmm. on the list. And, uh, and this one is, a, is intended to be a genuinely rotable aircraft. You're right. supposed to be able to fly it and then fold the wings and drive on under its own power on, on the regular roads, which is not that big a deal. Actually, we've discovered now Amy did that to get here this morning. That's true. <laughs> Almost. You know, she drove the last quarter mile on public, well, not public streets, well, but private true. way streets, streets, right? Speaking of which, you should always, I know it's, it's counterintuitive, but you've got to stay on the pilot side. <laughs> well, I, I couldn't right remember if your kit fox was tandem or side by side. Yeah, it's very side by side, and I can't see Bupkiss out the front of it. I kept going. I wonder where he is on that motorcycle now. Well, I figured so, you were ass turning anyway. So. <laughs> we'll That's really bad about news that. if Bupkis shows up in front of you. Yeah. <laughs> we'll come back and talk about her, uh, Amy and the Kit Fox in a few minutes. I, I, I was listening for the prop. Is it, if it got closer, I was going to twist the throttle. So. Yeah, all good. <laughs> but the Terrafugia transition, I want to talk about this. Because I think it was you, Amy, who was telling us at Sebring that somebody's got big... Who was it, Jeb? Do you remember we were talking with somebody? Someone's got big what? Uh, that, that, that the Terrafugia transition has... Yeah. It's, <laughs> they're whispering among each other now. It's like the, the I, heating... I shut that off. No, no, I think it's okay. It just sounded like an airplane engine it's, for a second. It ramps up slowly. It doesn't ah. snap, snap on. The heat went on here in Florida, folks. That tells you something about <laughs> really what's going on here. It me when that happens. <laughs> Anyways. Well, I have to make you know, Jack feel like he's at home, because, so I have to turn on the heat. Okay. All right. Someone was telling me, I think it was at Sebring, that the Terrafugia transition has attracted interest from uh, DARPA. I told oh, yes. you that. You told me that. Is this yes. for public consumption? Uh, yeah. Okay. I believe that, that um, people know that they did get a DARPA yeah. contract. And, okay, yeah. And, and, I, and I insist that this is yet more proof of my theory that the Terrafugia is a wacky idea that will never see the light of day because it's a DARPA you can, contract. You can say that, but I don't think it's true. I, think, I know you I don't. Think, I think that what's interesting um, about the Terrafugia, and one of the other things that happened at Sebring, is that several of their... Um, patents that they filed for in 2005, including um, patents that have to do with the wing latching mechanism, mm-hmm. which you need to understand. The Terrafugia is really the first of the convertible right. vehicles where you do not have to get out of the vehicle to convert it. Now, think about the multi-tailer well, flying car. Think about even the Icon. Think about even my kit box out there. If you want to fold the wings... But the Navy's been folding wings for 50 years now. Exactly. But the point I'm trying to make is no one in, in general aviation has utilized anything close to the kinds of, of robust mechanisms that the Navy and the Marines have used 
to fold and unfold their wings without having to get out of the cockpit. And okay. the Navy and the Marines have literally a boatload of 18-year-olds to help <laughs> do that. Well, yes, there are a boatload of 18-year-olds. They don't do that by themselves, but they're not, they don't have people out there folding their wings up and down. Um, yeah, it, one thing that you don't have to do with the Terrafuge is if it's pouring down rain, and I actually Which had, is a great reason to land. And, and it's not yeah. the terrafusia. We need to understand. It's the transition. The vehicle's called the yes. transition. Yes. To, just okay. to distinguish it from their other airplane. Not their <laughs> You're so cute. <laughs> I'm going to get in so much trouble yeah. when this He's runs. so cute when he hasn't had coffee. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the point I'm trying to make is the transition has positive locking um, devices that you don't have to get out of the vehicle to be absolutely sure that the wing is yeah, locked okay. in position either up or down and that's that's key to the success of the vehicle okay I, I will fall back on what i've said all along that although i continue to be suspicious of this as a as a the, to the marketplace for this 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 aircraft i i am intrigued and impressed by the technology that they're developing around it and, and the, uh, the fact that that they can um they have a survivable vehicle in a 35 mile an hour head-on crash which no one else in light sport aviation has. Well, the passengers will survive. The vehicle, perhaps not. Well, I'm not arguing that point, but they have, they, they have built a vehicle where the passenger will survive in good shape in a 35-mile-per-hour head-on crash. You get, you get your five-star, you know, whatever certification, mm-hmm. which you can't say about any other light sport aircraft cockpit, much less air aircraft yeah you know if you had to be pointed at the ground at 35 miles an hour going downhill it's not going to be pretty yeah well so now but the terrafugia is not an lsa that's not true this transition is an lsa yes is it really i actually i think i heard they 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 got got some sort of waiver on weight they got their waiver for weight because of the safety mechanisms that they have built into the vehicle because the vehicle had to be rotable via um, U.S. car. I'm, I'm not saying this right. Anyhow, it had to motor meet all the st- motor vehicle right. safety standards yeah. before it could become an aircraft. Mm-hmm. And because of that, there's about 100 to 120 pounds of safety mechanisms that are on this vehicle that are not found on any other LSA. It looks heavier than just 120 pounds. It does, doesn't it? But well, but it, it's it's meeting the 14 whatever 14 standard, 30, yeah. Yeah. which really isn't any heavier than a seaplane, mm-hmm. an amphib. Um, is allowed to be. But so I, I mean, I will stipulate that the technology is fascinating. You want right? to know why it's not heavier? Why? Carbon fiber. Well, I was going to say, yeah, yeah, and that's so, why it costs. It, it's going to cost what it costs. Yeah. So, but educate me on who is going to be the marketplace for this thing, all right? And well, tell me who's going to buy, you know, serial numbers 25 through 50. I understand that there's a there's a couple dozen people out there that want to buy this this actually, unique airplane. Actually, there's a couple hundred that have their money deposits. in escrow deposits, which really? are not being touched in okay. the process of, they have angel investors who have yeah. have made sure that they can get into their production facility, which they already are. And and that they can they can make their first delivery and what, in their second prototyping cycle they should have that second prototype at Oshkosh. Now, oh really? Okay. I am a big fan of this mostly because um, I like the people involved. 
Mm-hmm. And I think that they're honest and um, they're excited about it. They're passionate and they'll, they'll bring it to market. Now, I agree with you. It's what the market will do with it that everybody's got the big question mark. But will it actually get there? Yeah, I do believe it will. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it will be it will be up to those people who have their deposits and escrows to choose if they want to convert to a real deposit. And uh, you know, yeah. What now, um, will you have to get out? Will you have to get out to take the driver's head sign off the back when you're in training? The idea is that on a day like last week at Sebring, I could have left Sebring when I wanted to leave Sebring. I want to hear this story, too. Um, But before we do that, let me say welcome, folks, to episode 222 of Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. We're recording this episode on Friday morning, January 28th, 2011. And uh, joining us here in the virtual hangar is a whole bunch of good friends. First of all, uh, out there in the uh, uh, in the internet is uh, Dave Higdon, who's joining us from Wichita, Kansas. David, how you doing this morning? Uh, really fine. I'm thinking about ter- taking my Terrafugia and flying over to Mickey D's for breakfast. <laughs> yeah. See, <laughs> this is exactly what I'm talking about. All right. How many how many times through the drive through is this thing not going to have uh, you know? I don't know, Mickey D's rash or something like that. Well, the other question, though, is you know, how many airport gates are going to be wide enough to accommodate this? As it, I, after the wings fold up, I don't know how wide it's it is. It's not that big. It's like the size of a Cadillac. Well, it's got to be the size of a car, right? Yeah, it's got to exactly. be. I keep expressing skepticism. Okay. And, and people right. keep responding. So when you're flying the pattern, it just, does the turn signal come on? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, but that would be right. fun, wouldn't it? All right, we've beat up on the transition. I've beat up on it. Amy is making a strong case here. But uh, anyways, also here in the virtual hangar is a good friend uh, and host, excellent host, Jeb Burnside, who's here talking to us. Well, he's talk- I, always, I usually say talking to us from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida, which is still true. Hi, Jeb. How are you this morning? I'm spiffy. <laughs> I'm still trying to ingest caffeine, however. Yeah, I know. This is one of our... our uh, 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 occasional morning recording sessions, and it's a very different kind of experience than uh, than the evening thing. But uh, scheduling required that we do this. Uh, so uh, and, and uh, so you're having fun here. You got once again home for wayward pilots. It's just like a gathering place. It, it, it's um, yeah, I'm having fun. Uh, no issues. Yeah, 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 cool. And also here uh, with us in the virtual hangar, uh, the actual hangar, the actual dining room, is uh, Amy Laboda, who's uh, normally from Fort Myers, Florida, but have flew up this morning uh, from Fort Myers here to Hidden River uh, in her Kit Fox. And uh, hi, Amy. How are you doing this morning? 40 miles, 40 minutes. I know. You gotta huh? love it. <laughs> Personal aviation, huh? It makes the dead reckoning real easy, doesn't it? It does. The thing about that is that it would take an hour and a half to two hours to find this place via automobile. Uh-huh. So if I had my transition, I would definitely oh. have the wings latched and extended to get here. And I wouldn't get here any faster. That's true, too. Well, that's not true, actually. It probably yeah. does go faster than mine. Now, the thing I was mentioning about, or we were alluding to earlier about you driving at the last quarter mile, is mm-hmm. that uh, Jeb's original home here at Hidden River was right at the end of the runway. And, and much so, easier to find. And so you basically rolled out, you know, you went, you know, I mean, it was like further to get from the threshold of the runway to the run-up area than it was to get the run-up area to Jeb. Hanger. I mean, it was like that close. Um, Jeb has moved to his newer, more luxurious digs here, uh, in a more long-term home at Hidden River. 
and uh, and uh, it's a little bit further from the runway. It's probably how long? How long is the taxi? It's is about it, a quarter mile. Quarter mile. Yeah, yeah. but you have acreage, baby. Well, well, you have, have acreage. But it's also not right by the runway. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And it's it's kind of harder to find, which is a good thing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There, I, I like your new house a lot, um, but one thing I do miss is the airplanes on short final right. over the pool house, right. right over the pool screen house. You well, only miss that till the day the guy lands short. I always wondered about that. Yeah, but <laughs> never happened yet. So well, well, the flip side of which is um, when you're downwind for two uh, seven, they fly right over the house. Right, yeah. you're sitting out in the pool, yeah. and there they are. You and wave, you and can uh, see it. Yep. And it's a safer altitude. <laughs> and, and, and when they're downwind, they're, they're further away. They can't really see what's going on in the pool. Yeah. There you go. As yeah, opposed yeah. to being on short final. Well, yeah. That and, really and of depends course, on what yeah. kind of a downwind they fly. Right. <laughs> on short final, that's really what I'm going to be doing, is trying to spe- peek into your pool house. I'm not worried about the pilot. It's the passenger. Uh, okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. And I'm Jack Hodgson. And uh, as I mentioned, I'm talking to you from Hearthside at the Hidden River Used Vehicle Emporium and Animal Sanctuary. Uh, <laughs> I've been here for like a week and a half now, all right? I've been having a blast, all right? And the place where I've set up my laptop is sort of in the little breakfast nook in your kitchen, um, right next to a window that looks out onto your backyard. And uh, and I'm just amazed at the number of and the variety of animals that I see out your out your window uh, on a regular basis. I've been I've been accumulating a list. Uh, this is really not aviation, but I mean, I'm just like... Oh, come on. Something's got to fly. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see now. I've seen there's deer. Like there's more deer in your backyard than there are squirrels. All right. I mean, there there are deer everywhere. Deer. I've seen. We see egrets. We see. We saw turkeys. All right. Wild turkeys. All right. So an arm and and not the bottled kind. No, no. Well, that too. It's a shame. Firearms are prohibited (laughs) in this air park. They're not. We saw an armadillo. All right. There are occasional squirrels. There's all kinds of hawks. Uh, turkey vultures, uh, sandhill cranes. There's sandhill cranes. We've obviously frogs because that's why the cranes are here. A um, couple of big birds I didn't recognize. Um, you know, uh, a raccoon. I saw a raccoon right. in the daytime right. the other day. He was right. wandering around out in the daytime. Looked a little confused. Yeah, well, that's not a good sign for that. a baby raccoon. Yeah. So right. the one thing you haven't seen though is the alligator. I haven't seen the alligator, and I'm beginning to have questions about this. Oh whole thing. no, he's there. He's oh, no yeah. issues. Yeah, it's just cold. He's found some warmer spot to belly up to. Well, and and Shalbiter insists that he's out there. He's oh, he in is. the po- po- pond here. There's a big pond in the back of Jeb's house, um, and uh, and part of it's part of it's overgrown with grass. So there are lots of parts of this pond you can't see, and uh, so we think he's out there. Anyways, um, but it's also a, a sanctuary for uh, motor vehicles. Well, yeah. Yeah, and just quickly give us the you gave us an inventory a few minutes ago of all. We're not going to count the motorcycles because it's kind of impossible. Because it's uncountable, quite frankly. So we have um, three sedans, three sports cars, two pickup trucks, three trailers, um, and two airplanes. And two, yeah. On the property as I speak. Oh, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that's right. And yeah. And how many human beings, typically? Three, three human beings, yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> and, and as Jack said earlier, it doesn't look all that rednecky after all. <laughs> it doesn't really. It really actually is very, very nice. You wouldn't think, you'd hear that list and you'd think, man, it's just got to be littered. But, but it's not. They're all kind of stashed away in their little places. And, I uh, bet they're not even crested in rust. Yeah, no. Well, a couple and, of the sports cars, are, but they're not mine. And by the way, Amy, he, I think you know, he, he put your airplane out in front of the house 
I think in large part because he was been distressed for the last couple of days since we moved. His airplane had been parked in the circle in ah. front of his house for a couple of weeks. And the other day, we finally, he cleaned out the hangar and got, it, got the hangar all organized and moved the airplane into the hangar, oh, right? See. And for a couple of days after that, he was like, you know, where's my airplane? I don't see my airplane out there. And so I think he likes the idea of having an airplane in the front yard. So uh, uh, Next to the orange tree. It's a nice yeah, orange tree. I think I'm going to grab yeah. an orange on the way out. I've got to get some other kind of lawn ornament, though. <laughs> <laughs> Airplane doesn't come back better than that, huh? That's true. Yeah. So, anyways. Well, if this one won't start, <laughs> it may become yours. Well, and mine might not start either if I needed to take you home. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Even better. Even that should better. be party. Yeah. Anyways, all right. I'm, they're just screaming at us here. We've lost half the audience here already because we're not oh, talking no, about airplanes. I'm sorry. Um, no, no, no. I'm, I'm the one who's directing things here, and I'm doing a bad job. Um, let's talk about airplanes. Uh, Jeb and I had an awesome adventure yesterday. Uh, this, is a, this is a classic example of the value of personal aircraft, and this is a, and a somewhat extreme example of the $100 hamburger, uh, and that is that uh, yesterday afternoon, and we actually had, we didn't, it's not like we suddenly woke up and had this idea. We've been thinking about it for a few oh, days. Oh, oh, hang on a sec. I, I want it on the record <coughs> that we were airborne before noon local time. Yeah. No, it never happened. 27 minutes happen. before. Well, 27 minutes. <laughs> Everything's uh, relative. Yes. We did, we did uh, launch prior to noon, and uh, uh, we headed oh down south. Oh, my God. What's the matter? It's we went to Key West. Sacrilege. It launched prior to noon? I know. I know. I was impressed when he even, the, the, the original plan was to leave around 10, and that just, you know, made my head spin. Um, and... Uh, well, I had a I had a pop up work project yesterday. Yeah, but he actually we would have left. Oh, you gotta love yeah. those pop ups. We would have departed uh, uh, at the at the uh, appointed ten a.m. ish, uh, but uh, <laughs> but there was a uh, a sudden work requirement. So, anyways, we went to Key West for lunch. It was a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, we we uh, so we uh, we mounted up on the Debbie, so to speak, and uh, <laughs> ooh. Uh, <laughs> Launched, oh, yeah, that launched, <laughs> launched out of that Hidden River. That creates an image. Yeah, and headed uh, <laughs> south-ish um, and uh, uh, flew down the coast, the west, sort of roughly flew down the west coast of Florida. As we got near the southern tip of Florida, we veered out over across the water and then joined up with the, well, we sort of joined up with the Keys. This is a whole other story, which we won't get into this morning. But, uh, but we flew down the Keys and we arrived at, uh, at uh, Key West where we had arranged to meet up with uh, a, a listener who's becoming a good friend, uh, Turbo Ed, uh, from Florida and slash Connecticut. And uh, we've talked about him in the past. He's also he's both an RV pilot and a, a helicopter, an R, a Robinson 44 pilot. And uh, uh, he and his friend Kim joined us down there, and we had lunch uh, on a, at a restaurant by the pier. And uh, oh, nice. Jeb got his lobster sandwich, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, it was good. We had a good day, and we wandered around Key West for a while. And then uh, climbed back in the airplane and flew home, and uh, uh, it was a great day. It was it was a, just a, a classic example of the value of personal exactly. aviation. You know, there you go. That's that's, and see the beautiful thing about Key West is it's so far from here. You had to drive. Oh, it would oh, have it's been like eight hours. Yeah, yeah. From what I've been told. Yeah. And what did we it's think insane. the time and route was? The flight plan yesterday morning to get down there was an hour ten. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that yep, held true because right. the, wind, the winds were uh, pretty stiff going west. Yeah, yeah. So, and we went uh, VFR. Um, you know, we had flight following most all the way. Yeah. And uh, uh, but 
It was great. And Jack's still a little um, wigged out about being feet wet. Oh, and, Jack. Well, what he doesn't understand, and I was thinking about this last night, but, but and, and I, I respect his opinion, and, and we went feet wet, and, and looking around, there wasn't you know, any, any land that you could see mm-hmm. for some portions, you know, short portions of the flight. But what you don't remember is that if we turned around, we'd have seen land. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, it's not a question of me thinking that it was in any way dangerous. I mean, you know, I mean, danger is a scale, all right? But, you know, and I I certainly wasn't scared or nervous or frightened or upset about the whole situation. Um, It's just that you are more comfortable with the overwater stuff than I am, and that's the issue. The airplane doesn't know the difference. Yeah. Doesn't know the difference. I was talking to some guys who took a Kip Fox Series 7 to North Eleuthera from Sebring. They were so excited to be in Florida from Idaho that they just, and they had all their stuff. They went over to Fort Lauderdale. They picked up a raft, and 190-something miles later, there they were, sitting out at Marsh Harbor, having the time of their life in a little airplane that doesn't go a whole lot faster than mine. Mm -hmm. And 100 horsepower, and you know what? The airplane doesn't know the difference. And their argument was they were less nervous over that flat, relatively warm water of the Gulf Stream than what they fly over in the mountains in Idaho, yeah. which is far less friendly terrain if you've got to put the airplane down. So it's, 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 you've got to be pragmatic about it. Mm-hmm. Look down yeah. and go, hey, lots of places to land anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and and yeah, we're talking. We, we, we remember how the airplane reacts to the overwater stuff. Uh, going to Key West ourselves prior to came in caravan trip a few years ago, mm-hmm. where the uh, tension of the moment, we ignored the advice to go down to Marathon, jump the little gap, and then follow the Keys Highway. Mm-hmm. You know the the argument being, well, at least you got a shot at some place to land. If you need to, and we're thinking, but tomorrow we're going all the way to Grand Cayman, so why not kind of get this out of the way, this first big... So we went down to uh, uh, Everglades City and then cut out across the Gulf, and not 10 miles out, the the airplane was shaking like a bat out of hell. (laughs) It, It turned out to be nothing but my toes straining against the rudder pedals and the muscles in my legs starting to tremble from the strain but it was attention getting and it got a good laugh out of miami center the, the danger there is pilot induced flutter yeah <laughs> pilot induced anything quite frankly yeah. <laughs> i used to have an archer or actually no it was an arrow that i flew for 135 vfr 135 in california and the had a little problem with the indicators for the fuel. And you'd get to half tanks, and it would indicate empty. Well, And yeah. let me tell you that there was nothing more fun than being on the deadhead leg coming back from somewhere and that stupid arrow over the mountains in California and have those two tanks go, yeah. and indicate empty. And yeah, it's no. the same I know the phenomenon. feeling. I had an airplane do that to me one time where the, I was watching the, the, you know, and you just shouldn't watch those arrows. They just, they just, why do they even put those in airplanes? They teach you to ignore them, and yet there they are. Exactly. Uh, I, I, I ignore mine. Yeah. yeah. Because I, I, you know, one of the times I went, go ahead, David. They're there to, 
kind of help enliven up your scanning habits because you either get so freaked out by what you see that uh, you, you, you begin to ignore it or you finally decide that it's not working and you ignore it regularly and then you miss the low oil pressure indication and then you got another problem. Yeah. Yeah, no, because one of the times that I launched without topping off tanks and that was the time that I started started focusing on this needle and I'm going... You know, well, the needle's looking a little lower than I thought it was going to be at this stage of the flight. You know, and uh, and, and and you know, so then I made my I made my way to the nearest airport that I had gas and and landed uneventfully and filled it up and everything was fine. But the needle just makes it's like it makes you very uncomfortable. But you know, sometimes it's not a bad thing. I once was coming back from Martha's Vineyard and broke off literally at seven thousand feet, broke off on IFR flight. And the controller said, uh, what's your issue? I said, I have a gauge I don't like the looks yeah. of. And I landed and put fuel I, in it in Bridgeport, Connecticut, because it made sense. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It, yeah. It's just better than yeah. the possible alternatives. If the pilot ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. <laughs> That's right. That's you know, right. So, sometimes there's, a, there's a, uh, uh, an actual electromechanical uh, inducement to funky gauges. Uh, our old Comanche had this habit of, uh, of static building up in the airframe would cause the fuel gauges to head toward the empty mark, both of them. And if you caught it in act, you you almost concluded, you wanted to conclude at first blush that you got fuel streaming out of both tanks at the rate of about a gallon a second. That's the way it looked. But then something would, you know, cause the static to discharge. There'd be a pop in the headphones and the gauges would go back up to normal. Well, we cured that with static wigs mm-hmm. after many arguments about... But the airplane only goes 160. Static wicks are for jets. It's like, no, put the freaking static wicks on like the map says. I bought them. Put them on. Thank you. And the problem stopped. Yeah. And my AI goes, oh, yeah, I could have told you that. And the only real flaw with all of our logic here, now we're all talking about airplanes we understood the problem with, is that the only time those tanks on a certified aircraft are calibrated to be accurate is when they are reading dead empty. Really? Yes. Now, our... And and, and so I have to tell you that I actually had um, a good friend who was arguing that point with her husband just as the engine quit at 7,000 <laughs> about six miles short of Wilmington, North Carolina. These things do happen. Mm-hmm. You cannot look at a gauge that says empty in an airplane unless you know that airplane very, very well, and even then it's got to make you uncomfortable, just like a red light. Mm-hmm. You can say all you want, ooh, that red light don't mean nothing. But if you get a red light in the cockpit, mm-hmm. you're supposed to go, oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I better look at that. And if you have to desensitize yourself to the red light because it's coming on all the time, you need to do something with the airplane. Mm-hmm. Get the static wicks or, you know, whatever. Don't, don't leave yeah. the condition that way for any length of time right. because it creates the wrong habit. Does that make any sense? Yeah, no, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. 
Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for flying Express Tube Airways today. Please pay attention as we disclaim ourselves from all liability for your discomfort on today's flight. The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace Podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily represent the views of the various organizations they work with, and anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that. Now settle back and relax as we'll be taking off in just a moment. The morning fog is lifting both on the field and from between Jeb Burnside's ears. It's uncontrolled airspace. So, uh... Let's see now. What are we talking about? I don't know. Oh, airplanes. Airplanes. Yeah. Hey, no, no, we are talking about airplanes. I we're doing good. That, I no, heard we've been we're doing. Supposed to be talking no, no, about we've, airplanes. We've been doing good for a while now. Let's see now. Let's continue. Uh, since the last episode, uh, we went over and visited the uh, what we call the Sebring uh, LSA fly-in, which is really called the what U.S. Sport Aviation Expo. I think is what it's called um, over at Sebring Airport here in Florida, and that was kind of fun. Um, uh, let's see now. I went for two days. Uh, Jeb, you only went over for one day. Amy, you were there for a couple of days, right? You yeah, were... I actually stayed for more than 48 hours this year. That yeah, was good. Yeah. And uh, we, we crossed paths with, with Amy for a few minutes and chatted and talked about things. That's where we got, initially got into this uh, Terrafugia transition conversation. But uh, first of all, let's just talk quickly about the, uh, the show itself. Um, I'm not sure what you guys' impression was. My impression was that it was a nice show, but there was really nothing earth-shaking happening there. Uh, as I as I sort of half jokingly said to somebody, um, if it weren't for the fact that Piper's leaving the LSA marketplace, um, there wouldn't have been any news at all. Um, it was it was a pretty. I mean, and that's not to say that there weren't a lot of fascinating airplanes planes oh, there absolutely. and and some interesting crowds. And I took a whole bunch of pictures of of the airplanes. I'm kind of gradually posting them to various places on the internet, and uh, I'll probably talk more about that in the future. But uh, what was your impression? Jeb, you go first. What was your impression? Well, of pretty them? much the same as yours. Um, I, I've been to the last two or three expos um, and found this year's version to be very similar to previous editions. Mm-hmm. Um, same, you know, same vendors, which now, you know, let me come back to that. Same vendors, same basic layout. Um, I think um, some of the, um, as opposed to the open air exhibits, the, the static display of aircraft, some of the uh, actual vendors, uh, I think they were reorganized this year. Um, they were in a different building, and the buildings were organized differently, I mm-hmm. think, as opposed to maybe two, three years ago. I don't recall. But um, um, you still had you know, uh, the uh, uh, flybys going on. You still had um, a lot of people wandering around looking at, at various aircraft, and, and um, um, you still had presence of, of some of the major manufacturers. There wasn't a lot of news. I, I, I agree with that, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. I think the, the the key point I was going to make, though, is that I think this shows the uh, stability of this industry right yeah. now. Uh, it hasn't changed that much over the last couple of three years. The same people who were there, again, two or three years ago, were there this year. Um, whether there is a coming shakeout in the LSA market, as, as people have been predicting for years, um, I would think that this year's experience at, at the expo kind of belies that. Yeah. People are still in this for the long it, 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 I agree. It's impressive that it has remained as stable as it has. I agree. Interesting is that vendors were telling me they like this show better than Sun and Fun 
because the people who are coming to the show, and you said there were a lot of people, there were a lot of people, particularly given the weather is always a challenge right. this time of year, um, particularly in, because most of these are light sport aircraft. They're not going to fly if it's too windy. They're not going to fly when it's raining. They're not coming in if it's IFR. Right. Um, but the thing I was going to say is the people who come to this show are looking to buy an LSA. Mm-hmm. They are not coming right. for an air show. They are not coming to drool over the pretty paint jobs. Mm-hmm. They are asking the right kind of questions. And these are, these are, this is feedback I'm getting from the vendors who right. come to this show. They're asking the right kinds of questions. They're educated, and they are ready to put some money on the table. Now, I didn't hear anybody actually making a sale. I don't know that they make so many sales at this show at this point it's too early in the year and what i do think they do is they begin to garner a lot of interest one thing that you didn't see perchance that was coming out of this show are all the faa and llama meetings that were going on yes there was a lot of shaking going on at this show there were a lot of serious meetings there are up to 114 different types that supposedly um, uh, are certified through the ASTM Mm -hmm. that the FAA put out for light sport aircraft. However, it is commonly known throughout the industry that not all of those comply with the ASTM the way the ASTM is written. There is a lot of controversy. There are some very um, frustrated and angry vendors that produce True, they call them true LSA mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, that meet the the maximum horizontal velocity, not at sixty five percent power, we're right, at one hundred and twenty eight right, knots, but right. actually this is as fast as you can make this airplane go straight and level. Ah, sorry, uh, sorry, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Um, and there are a lot of airplanes that don't meet that. Mm-hmm. And and these are the kinds of things that were going on behind those closed doors uh-huh. in those meetings during uh, this show. Yeah. They don't happen at other shows. They happen at this show. And I do believe that in the next two years you're going to see a shakeout because the manufacturers themselves are beginning to realize that either they're going to police it right. or the FAA is going to police it. Mm-hmm. Now, in the great scheme of things, which would you rather have happen if you were an LSA manufacturer? Have Llama come tell you, no, 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 you need to fix the way the wings are, fix, you got to put a smaller power plant on there, you have to do something to comply, or would you rather have the FAA come tell you that? Yeah, well, I would certainly rather an industry organization did it than the FAA did it, um, I'll withhold judgment on whether LAM is the right organization. Well, I, I'll, I'll, it's all they've got. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. One, one point, and I know, Amy, you know this, just for clarification. At other shows, there is a huge FAA presence, and there's a huge uh, um, interaction between the agency and the industry on a variety of policy issues, whether it's, whether it's NBAA, AirVenture, even Sun and Fun. Um, but uh, your point is well taken that this is the opportunity for the LSA industry community to get together with the agency and cuss and discuss through some of these issues. 
Absolutely, yeah. And I didn't mean to, to, you know, poo-poo the other shows. It's just that here's where it's all LSA. And what's interesting to me is that the FAA was actually a marvelously um, helpful presence at this show. I, I really saw strong and robust, that's the word I'm looking for, and healthy interaction between manufacturers and the FAA. I saw the FAA there for free issuing the student pilot certificates that I have found in my local area anyhow. The DARs want money to push the button after we do all the work on the 8710 digital forms um, in order to process a student pilot certificate, just to issue the student pilot certificate um, for for an, a sport pilot. So yeah. I really liked what I saw, and I spent a lot of time, quite inadvertently, um, in the FBO on the Friday of the show when it was kind of soggy. Out. Yeah, yeah. And I'm really getting to that, I promise. Um, let's just, I'm not sure I even want to let's talk just, about it. Let's, so no, you're stuck now. Um, the, but let's finish up the little Sebring report here. Uh-huh. And that is, to, so on the subject of uh, Piper uh, cutting its ties anyways with the uh, the Czech, uh, what do they call themselves, aircraft works or something like that. Um, yes. Yeah, the, the sport cruiser people, all right. Yeah. Um, we heard a little bit more detail uh, that day, those days at Sebring um, that have since been confirmed in the press um, that apparently uh, uh, one of the big factors here was that uh, Piper U.S. You know, they're not called Piper USA, but the USA Piper organization um, and the Czech organization were there was apparently a lot of pushing and shoving going on on the subject of how this airplane would be marketed outside of the United States, and apparently they just could not agree on how it was going to be marketed out there. Um, and it really truly was a, a difference of opinion, a disagreement of philosophies, I guess. Um, it, and now I'm starting to speculate um, that it, it, it also, one of the factors that played into this was the leadership changes at Piper over the last year or two, that the, the, the Piper leaders who made the deal to bring the sport cruiser in-house are no longer the leaders at Piper. And the new leaders at Piper are less enamored with the whole idea, especially given that the Czechs wouldn't play their game in terms of marketing around the world. Is that a fair? Uh, I think that's fair. I think there's an element you're overlooking, and that is the Piper jet. Um, I, I think one, I, of, one of the rationales being expressed yeah. is that Piper is jettisoning, in my word, not theirs, uh, jettisoning the uh, the Piper Sport, uh, Sport Cruiser, I should say, in favor of the jet. Um, which I, I kind of question, why can't they do both? But yeah. um, um, clearly Piper doesn't think they can do both or doesn't want to yeah. do both. I, I certainly heard this. And, um, and the fact that in their press release and in questioning the Piper reps at Sebring, and by that was one of the interesting things, was that um, not only was the Piper Sport slash Sport Cruiser aircraft on display at Sebring, but it was being shown under the Piper banner. Uh, They were flying, literally flying Piper flags, uh, and there were Piper representatives there um, answering questions. And uh, they were ready for us. I mean, they knew what people were going to be asking about. And their story was very, very straightforward and very, very... um, Consistent, and that was that you know differences of opinion. We've decided to make a change. We love this airplane. We love LSAs. 
we're still supporting the JET program. And that's the part that I found interesting and, and kind of like, uh huh. All right. It's like, why, how are you trying to rationally, you're trying to make the LSA people happy by saying, but we're still doing the JET. I don't understand how that's supposed to be a logical explanation to me. All right. And go ahead, Jeb. The, we've talked about this. The reason that's, the reason they did that, Jeb, is what? Oh, uh, that's where the big bucks are. That's where the that's where the, the that story was not for the LSA community. That story was for the Piper exactly. stockholders exactly. and the industry in general. Ah, margin. Yeah. Um, well, because, and, you know, the funny the thing that doesn't quite go ahead, David. Mesh here is that Piper and the the uh, the check manufacturer when they got together on this, Piper didn't let its normal dealer network handle this new product. They created a separate dealer network that most people had to invest and qualify and, and, and set up their shops and all that. And I'm not sure exactly how much of a burden supporting this sport would be on Piper at right. that because the dealers are the ones that have to floor plan the airplanes. I agree, because yeah. what we heard repeatedly was that Piper, other than marketing expense, Piper wasn't, and, and allowing their name to be used, Piper wasn't putting too much into this program. Yeah. Um, Not, they, they, put a, they put a fair amount up front uh, a year and a half ago when they started developing the collateral material and doing right. the video. But that's spent they, money. You know, it's not like they're saving a lot of money that they can apply to the jet program now. I mean, that just no. doesn't seem that way. I, I, I don't have any real inside information, but that just doesn't seem – it kind of no, doesn't make I, sense. I, I agree, and, and uh, um, I, I don't know that the two are um, inextricably linked. But clearly, Piper wants to link them. Yeah. Now, before we move off the subject of Piper, we heard um, a semi-official uh, delivery number. Uh, how many how many Air Piper Sports did we hear about? What I heard was forty-five delivered, fifteen in the pipeline for a total of sixty. That now, will be yeah. That will be quote Piper Sports unquote yeah. Uh, and, and what we also heard was that the. Uh, Arrangement, contract, agreement, whatever, um, has another 90 days before, right. before it's ended. Yeah. Now, probably not coincidence. Go ahead, David. Well, sorry, you know, you mentioned that it's valid to, to, to raise this. But Piper being at Sebring, you know, with all flags flying and all that, and it's worth remembering that they had some contractual obligations uh, that had to be played out here. And I doubt seriously that they were going to save any money by pulling out of Sebring because shows like that generally require you to pay it all, if not all, most of what you're going to spend for the spot up front. And pulling out at the last minute is not going to get you a refund unless somebody can come in and, you know, reimburse you and take your spot for you. Uh, so... It made better peace with the community, better sense for keeping peace with the community, to let that all play out. Mm -hmm. Let the flags fly, make their you know not hide away down there in Vero, uh, but come out, answer the questions, show the flag. It couldn't hurt their other products any to be there, uh, and and then you know answer the questions, say, well, we're going to get on with this and do other things. Yeah. Now, um, probably not coincidentally, Cessna issued a statement um, that uh, on I went Thursday or Friday of the Sebring show, where they announced. Um, I think the key point of the statement was uh, to uh, announce how many um, Piper 
correction, um, Skycatchers, Cessna Skycatchers, they have shipped. And uh, now I'm blank. I don't have that, that press release in front of me here. I don't, but I don't have it in front of me either. I, I think um, um, the purpose for the press release was simply to remind uh, the aviation public that there is at least one remaining big-name manufacturer still playing in the LSA market. Hmm. Yeah. And I believe the number in my head is that they announced that they have uh, shipped, uh, I want to say 45, but that's, I'm, no, that's probably not right here. I'm searching for the, uh, for the press release here. Uh, I don't know. Maybe we'll find it before the podcast's over. But they announced a number, um, and my sense of it at the time when I was reading this statement was that this number was kind of slightly less but very comparable to the, to the Piper Sport number that we'd heard. Um, That's interesting. Sebring, Florida, January 20th, 2011. Cessna hits stride with Skycatcher Light Sport aircraft deliveries. This is from the Cessna.com um, site. Company said today at the Sebring, I'm kind of paraphrasing here, at the Sebring uh, uh, Sport Aviation Expo, it had received more than 60 Skycatcher Light Sport aircraft. That's right, I remember this now. That they had received the aircraft from the Chinese manufacturer, Shenyang Aircraft Corporation. Um, and in, uh, in conjunction with its reassembly site at Yingling Aviation in Wichita, Cessna has delivered more than 30 Skycatchers. That's the number. So right. Cessna's actually delivered less than... Piper. To date. Uh, to date. To date. Now, they actually have more orders, of course. Yeah. Third graph in this story says, quote, the company is on track to deliver 150 Skycatchers in 2011, including the first models featuring the Macaulay two-blade fixed-pitch composite propeller. Yeah. So. Um, but Cessna is um, traditionally much more conservative than Piper, I would say. Conservative in what way? In terms of revealing these numbers? Uh, in terms of when they when they go to a new model, um, ramping it up and mm-hmm. putting it out there well, in, a, in a slower, more methodical fashion. Yeah. Well, they're, they've certainly they're they've certainly been more conservative in this particular case. You know, I they've taken. I can't think of another um, light sport aircraft that's been more tested. Yeah. I mean, than they're just one. really being very. Methodical, to use one euphemism, um, whereas Piper, you know, Piper just sprung on the situation a year and a half ago or so, or a little, no, or, little over a year a, ago. Yeah, they had an already in production yeah. uh, aircraft. Yeah, I was going to say that was an established her, her name on. Well, of course, I mean that's and that's how it was, but you know, they chose a different route that was much more dramatic and much more get it out the door, you know, and um, and I don't know whether it's it's you know. It doesn't seem to have it doesn't seem to work. So yeah, well. All right. Yeah. Well, you know, they needed the bucks for the for the jet, I guess. Right? Well, I, I don't know that. I don't. I, again, I, I kind of question how many bucks are. are no, I know. I'm being for facetious. The jet by canceling the LSA program, fe- um, since they really didn't have that much upfront invested in it, all things considered. Um, I, I kind of wonder, though, if, if you know, someone a couple of years ago was sitting there scratching their head, saying, you know, Cessna's coming out with a Skycatcher thing, and and uh, you know they got it. they're going to have a full line of aircraft again, mm-hmm. and um, you know maybe we as Piper, who have traditionally been you know one of the main competitors to Cessna, maybe we should come in with you know an LSA also to once again fully compete against Cessna across their line. I think you're correct about that. I think what they misjudged was they're selling fleets of aircraft all over the world to places like the Qatar Air College and stuff like that. They ain't 
it very quickly, I think, dawned on them that they weren't selling LSAs. They're selling Seneca 5s. They're selling Seminoles. They're selling multi-engine trainers. Not even warriors anymore. They're selling multi-engine trainers. People are throwing these guys, and it's mostly guys, into twin engines right from the get-go. There no longer is even a single-engine track in a lot of these places. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're well, going the straight into multi, straight into into twin turbojets, and they're flying as the the jump seat guy mm-hmm. for a year and a half, and then they throw them in the right seat. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, Dave. Yeah, go ahead, David. Well, they're, they're, recently Piper announced that they'd sold some singles and some twins uh, to flight training operation in Qatar. Mm-hmm. Uh, they sold, uh, I think, seven or eight Archer threes. And five Seneca fives, I believe that I may be fuzzy on the numbers. It was more of the singles than the twins. And they not long before that sold some Seminoles uh, as it, their advanced multi-engine trainer. Uh, so they're still putting them through in most of the most parts of the world through the single engine, but they're accelerating the whole move from single engine to instruments to multi engines uh, and moving them through the pipeline uh, pretty quickly. Because they're trying to fill a lot of seats for commercial and, and, and private business aircraft. Uh, and they're trying to build up their own infrastructure to do it so they no longer have to ship anybody over to this side of the pond. Well, you know why they don't want to ship people over to this side of the pond, don't you? Oh, yeah. Why? Go ahead. Tell them, Dave. Well, the, the hoops that you've got to go through to uh, to get cleared to do this. It's not as difficult now to get through all the security clearances and background checks to come here to learn to fly as it was seven or eight years ago. Unless you're from Qatar. But if you're from some countries out there, like if you're coming from the UK, Germany, Japan, or even China, uh, you're... Uh, you you I'm, might get I'm a visa. I say that they're profiling here, but you're going to find that it's there's going to be fewer hoops, uh, fewer questions that uh, come back to you if you're from some other countries uh, in the world. And the uh, the whole track's not that easy anymore. No, it's not. In fact, I have had difficulty getting a visa for some people from some African nations just to come to a conference. Mm. Forget flight training. A tourist visa to come to the U.S. to attend a women in aviation conference can't be had for someone from Uganda. Really? Yeah. Why? Uh, Risk you won't come back. Oh, well... Is is the go back? Is the the limiter the U.S. or the limiter Uganda? Well, they're they're going to the U.S. embassy in their country and applying to come for a visa, you know, to come here. Right. And apply, and these are visas that cost money, by the way. Yeah. Um, Money that even you or I would complain about. Hundred dollars here, hundred dollars there. Trust me, that's a lot of money in other places in the world, and we're not giving them out because. They can't make it through the interview. These are young people. Heaven help us if we you know got more I mean? women who are interested in aviation here in the U.S. That would just be awful. Well, I'm just I'm pointing out I have one person in Uganda that I've tried to get to come to this conference for three years, and I can't get the U.S. embassy in. Really? 
We, we, we should be ashamed. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah, just, just, and it's not the only place. I mean, they go through these things in mm-hmm. Tanzania. They go through it, and, and it really comes down to cash flow and have you ever been there before. And it, it, it really, until I started talking to people, it, it scares me that we really have restricted things. And, Dave, it, it goes right back to that training thing. We shoot all that training out of the U.S., hmm. and it's cost us a lot. One thing before we leave this whole uh, Piper Cruiser Cessna Skycatcher yeah. topic, one thing just caught my eye on this Cessna press release, and it's the last, basically the last paragraph. I'll just read this verbatim. The Skycatcher design team was named winner of the American Institute of Aeronautics and Aer- Astronautics Piper General Aviation Award for 2010. <laughs> AIAA represents the presents the Piper General Aviation Award annually for outstanding contributions leading to the advancement of general aviation. The award honors William T. Piper, Sr., <laughs> who was founder and first president of Piper Aircraft Corporation, 1929-1970. I just find that to be um, a general foxtrot uniform to uh, uh, one of their competitors in the LSA market. Yeah. I think it's beautiful. Are you kidding? You can't write that you stuff. Can't, you, you can't, can't make, make it up. up. You can't make it up. <laughs> you know, All right. Got, Go ahead, David. We got that release from, uh, when we got that release about the award from the association, uh, it kind of sat back and said, and they're giving this award to a design that's barely shown up on the ramps. Yeah. Well, that's like and I kind of had to scratch my head and think, you know, there have been some other LSAs that did some rather groundbreaking stuff. Maybe the deal is that it wasn't designed. They weren't designed specifically in the U.S., but you know, they were designed by U.S. people. So I don't know. Congratulations, I guess. It's a nice flying airplane. Yeah. So. Didn't didn't Eclipse get something like the Bendix Trophy before the damn airplane was even certificated? Uh huh. <laughs> I'm, okay. I, I just don't want that one to go down the rabbit hole. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. So, Amy, here's the, what happened. Um, uh, let's see now. The my second day to Sebring was Friday morning, and uh, and we had arranged. You were planning on leaving in the morning, but we were going to overlap for a little while. So we were going to we were going to get together and say hi. And so, I, as I came through the gate at about ten ten thirty or so that morning, I called you on the cell phone, and you said hi, and you said I'm already over here at the. Uh, uh, on the ramp at my airplane, uh, you, the weather was a little iffy that morning. It had been oh, raining. that was really an understatement yeah. now. Come on. And you said to me that you had a window in the weather, and you were going to try and book on out of there and get home, all right? And I said, okay, good, fly safe, I'll talk to you later on, and that's we, the last I heard we of We were it. IFR driving over there. Yeah, that, well, that was the day before. Uh, the first day. The first day. I'm talking about the second day, yeah. Anyways, later I hear you say that you didn't actually get out of Sebring until like 1 in the afternoon or something. That like is that? correct. What happened? Well, okay. Let's let's start with it was a weather window. What do windows do? Yeah, okay. They open and they close. And I'm I'm functionally in an airplane that can't even really take a special VFR. Right, clearance. you were flying the Kit Fox that yeah, day. Yeah, I was flying the Kit Fox, and the Kit Fox does not have an attitude indicator. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. It you, you don't have the basic instruments that you need to and ask it, for a special. Um, right. VFR. Okay. And, and the weather was not such that you could scud run back home to... Oh, I'm not sure I would say that. 
um, the weather would, would was a window. <laughs> it opened and it closed, and it opened and it closed. It was changeable, mm-hmm. to say the least. Um, the big rain had gone through. The real problem was the big rain had gone through, and my airplane <laughs> was on the ramp and got wet. Uh-huh. And um, one of the things that apparently got moist were the coils. And oh, okay. <laughs> I see where we're going we, with this. Are yeah. we following? The battery's actually in really good shape. I get 12, 12.1, and not a problem at all on the battery. Um, but it wasn't starting the airplane. And mm-hmm. this was quite frustrating because windows open and windows close. So in the process of trying to trying to figure out what was wrong and why the airplane wouldn't start, the window closed again. Mm-hmm. Okay. By then I had it tied back down over in another spot, a little closer to um, where the mechanic and I were trying to start it and things like that. And I, I called my husband and he suggested, um, well, there were two suggestions. Wait till it dries out. Mm-hmm. Or um, you can go to the hardware store and you can get some starter fluid, and you can a- attempt to to have one someone help you start it that way. Okay. Okay. Is this the the sort of spray ca- yeah. can kind of starter yeah. fluid? Actually, the, the, I got it outside. It's called liquid fire in a can. <laughs> I can't make that stuff up. FAA approved. Twenty nine cents. FAA approved. And, and FAA PMA. Marcus, I don't. You know, the beautiful thing about it is I fly an experiment. You you get it at the National Aviation Parts Association. Exactly, yeah, right, yeah. Yeah, that's where I got it. Liquid fire in a can. Yeah. All right, okay. So The the good news is that all the airplane really needed was to be threatened with liquid fire in a can. (laughs) In fact, fact, the kind volunteer... That would work for me, too. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> the kind volunteer who took me over to the hardware store and helped me out um, was even willing to to um, perform this draconian measure, um, but it was not necessary. And I said, I said, you know, um, the Lockwood mechanic suggested that I at least try it. The, clearly, the battery is good. I should just try it one more time. It's gotten a lot drier. It ceilings up to about twenty one hundred feet at this point. Um, but the breeze is starting to kick in, which it often does when the cold front goes by. Um, let's try this one more time. We got a weather window. And, of course, the airplane started right up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. So the answer was, by 1 o'clock I was out of there. I had already made a phone call to get the weather at Pine Shadows. And you do understand that the way you get the weather, I'm sure Jeb does it too, is you call a neighbor <laughs> who steps outside and looks up and goes, yeah, it's blah, 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 blah. Once upon a time, that's the way it worked with the FAA flight service stations, too. <laughs> Once upon a time, that's the way it worked. If you could con the guy to go outside and look, that's absolutely Yeah, well, yeah, or even, even after that, you know, they, once upon a time, they were in places that had windows. And, uh, yeah, yeah. You, you, back in starting, I guess, in the 80s, 90s, you call a flight service station, what's the weather? Like, How the hell do I know? I don't have any windows in this building. Yeah, really. Yeah. But my timing was excellent getting home because uh-huh. I, I hit the window um, right after the rain shower went through and kind of blew out the fog, I came in, and then the fog came in behind me again about 30, 40 minutes after I landed. So I felt I felt like I, I was vindicated, and in fact, I hit the perfect window to get back in yeah. where I needed to be. So all in all, it was a happy story, but I do believe that the kit boxes do for uh, some new coils. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. <laughs> now, uh, we are starting to reach the end of our allotted time here, but, um, but I think uh, while you're here, Amy, I want to wow. take this opportunity to address one of the great controversies of aviation, and I think we might be able to make some progress in, in sorting There's this controversy out. controversy in yes. aviation? Yes, David, a great, great controversy. Here it is. Um, yesterday, uh, down in Key West, we were uh, uh, chatting over lunch, and, uh, and uh, Turbo Ed was relating a story about how he, uh, one time visiting uh, Key West, and some old airport hand was helping him uh, secure his airplane uh, in anticipating some big weather, right? And this old airport hand told Turbo that the way to secure his airplane was to tie it down nose into the expected wind all right mm -hmm. and and the the rationale here being that that would uh, minimize the flutter on the control surfaces and thus that was the way to do it i think amy though when we were talking um over at sebring that morning you made reference to the idea of tying down your airplane with the tail into the uh, expected you're wind confused. the only reason i did that was because um i was forced to Ah, by, okay. by the way that they oriented me in the tie-down. And I was completely happy to have tie-downs at all there. I actually, the guy parked me and I looked at him and I went, where are the tie-downs? And he said, oh, there are no tie-downs here. And I said, no, 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 I'm not staying here. But fortunately, I was there on a Wednesday. It was quite early. And he went, mm -hmm. oh, well, if I give you this other spot, you know, you can't move from it, blah, blah, blah. It's like, dude, <laughs> it's not a problem. This airplane has to be tied down. What I did to, to mitigate the circumstances is I made sure instead of the stick back, which I would have used the seatbelt type, you know, um, often seen in Piper's mm -hmm. method of locking the controls, I actually um, redid the controls with uh, a corded system so that the tail stick was forward because if my tail was going to be down into the in, if my tail was into the wind, I needed to get the elevator down, not up. Make right. sense? Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay, so that the wind would flow over and keep that tail down and aid with the ropes. And I did the same thing with the um, flapperons. Again, the same thing to hold everything down as opposed because obviously. So tail into the wind was not your preferred it orientation. It was not my preferred orientation by any stretch of the wind, uh, any stretch of the imagination. It was what I was forced into, mm -hmm. and therefore I um, made corrections. Yes. Is that the best way to describe it? So I locked my controls differently, and it worked quite well, Yeah, actually. David, any thoughts on this subject? About, when you think about how they park mobs and mobs of airplanes at, at, at Sun and Fun and Air Adventure and a lot of other events... You get these rows and rows of airplanes where, you know, there's they're on one side of the road, the nose is one way, and right next to it is one pointed the opposite way. And they do that so that they can push the tails past one another and get more aircraft in, in a row. So somebody's always going to have their tail, you know, the wrong direction. And when the wind changes, somebody else is going to. Uh, the smart thing is to be adaptable to, in how you secure your control system. And that's why a lot of control system locks put the control surfaces at dead neutral. Yeah, uh, that's a smart way to do it, and, and it does help. In my case, I was forced to keep checking on the airplane based mm -hmm. on, on yeah. what was going on. So I, so I guess we're all agreed that given the choice, the optimal way is the way the Key West old hand suggested nose into the expected wind. 
That would be my first choice. Yeah. Uh, presuming I had control locks that would lock the controls in a neutral mm -hmm. position. Um, the quick answer is the old standby, it depends. Yeah. It depends. It what depends. you really don't want is the wind to be beaten on your rudder. Mm -hmm. Like with the, with the um, free castering nose wheel system in my RV-10, I actually have an external rudder lock mm -hmm. that I put on the airplane. That's not necessary because of the springs with the kit box. But even still, I would prefer not to have the kit box set up with the wind beaten on that rudder. Yeah. Okay. So, all right. Well, there you go. See, I knew we could get this controversy dealt with. I don't know that it was a controversy. <laughs> Shout-outs. I think it's time for shout-outs. I, 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 given the way we began this podcast, I have no idea how long we've been going. But uh, I'm pretty sure it's time for shout-outs. What do we got here? I've got one big one, but why don't you guys go first? Oh, they all have my name on them. <laughs> <laughs> David, you got any shout-outs? Uh just a quick one to my old buddy DJ and his bride uh, Randy. Uh, DJ and, and Rand have been uh, under the weather terribly for a while. He even had to miss two days of Sebring because of it. Uh, and for the guy that runs the Light Aircraft Manufacturers Association, that means you're really sick. So, Deej, get better. We we did see DJ at at, uh, yep. at the expo and. Uh, uh, he looked good. Uh, you could tell there was some raspiness. Yeah, his he voice was, was He was still kind of recovering, and and, uh, and all in all, would probably have rather been home in bed, you know, with some fluids and, and, and that kind of thing. But so, nevertheless, was racing around there doing his he, llama he, chairman duties. He, and, he was uh, doing his thing, and, and more power to him. Yeah, yeah. Other shout-outs. Jeb, Amy? Ah, yes. Uh, I've noticed, I've noticed we never got to it today, but... Um, the the uh, spilled coffee on the avionics is never a good thing. Just yeah, it's a, it's a story that's been on the list for a while now. We'll get to it one of these days. But uh, all all I have to say about that is, if you're gonna drink and fly, that's right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There you go. Um, a couple I've got here. Let me drop one of mine in here. Um, we uh, a couple a bunch of episodes ago, uh, Jeb uh, mused mused about the uh, possibility of there being a uh, an online uh, uh, directory right, of right. of aviation museums, and we've heard about yet another one here. This one is uh, www.museums.aero a e r o, um, and it is. Uh, and I have not really evaluated this. I can't really speak to its quality or the completeness of it, but I just kind of point people to it to make their own judgment. Um, the headline is Aviation Museums, a ge the Geographically Searchable Collection. All I have to say is, you know, there goes my retirement plan. I know. You were going to make this your thing, and you were going to create the great, the great uh, Aviation Museum uh, database. Uh, so check that out. Um, let's see now. I think I'm trying to read my notes here. Um, I heard about this by way of a number of different links that we'll put in the show notes. But uh, uh, check out, uh, what was it, museums.aero. Right. Yeah. Shout outs. Jeb? I, I really don't have any. Yeah? Um, I, I don't want to throw it. It's less of a shout out than it is a cautionary. Since I'm not sure when our next uh, episode will get posted. Not this one, but the one after. Yeah. Uh, if you're going to be flying anywhere in north central Texas the first weekend of February. Uh, but of course, yes. You, you, you really want to make sure you check all levels of no TAMs because there's a big one out there 
for some little football game that's going to be going on in the area? Uh, I'm sorry. Since the New England Patriots were eliminated, didn't they just cancel that? (laughs) No, never mind. Yeah, no, never mind. Okay. Yeah. You actually actually made him speechless, which I find just to be (laughs) the headline of the podcast. Anyways, David, what, what particular issues should people be thinking about in terms of flying around these areas? Well, it, it, DFW's airspace is not all that uh, simple to navigate through to begin with. I mean, when you consider the number of airports that underlie it like, or fall within it, like Love and Addison and Redbird and Meacham, and, you know, it's just it's, it's crazed. Uh, but then you throw a special NOTAM onto it because of the Super Bowl. And you you could find yourself a little constrained, or you could find yourself with an escort uh, getting in what would normally be an okay place with clearance from ATC. It's going to be complicated. Read up, check up if you're flying in that neighborhood, and you know who knows. There may be some soccer fans that don't realize that there's a, a another kind of football game still going on. And, mm-hmm stumbling through the uh, that, that part of Texas and, and, and find themselves going, oh, wow, look, that's an F-16, really close. What pretty colors. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know, huh? Okay, and then uh, last but not least, I just wanted to uh, make a little uh, podcast or uh, UCAP announcement here, and that is that uh, for a while there, we were uh, pretty actively blogging um, uh, on the at the UCAP blog at the Uncontrolled Airspace uh, homepage, and it kind of drifted by the wayside, partly because the uh, blogging system that we were using at the time, uh, blogger.com, which is otherwise a pretty good system, um, made some changes that made it difficult for us to do the blog the way we wanted to. And so we've drifted away a little bit, uh, uh, with the exception of Dave occasionally uh, posting one of his very interesting essays over there. But we haven't done a lot of blogging um, in in recent months. And we finally uh, have uh, sort of made some decisions and bit the bullet and and did what needed to be done in order to uh, uh, renew and restore the Uncontrolled Airspace blog. And we have. Uh, So uh, uh, by the time you hear this, uh, the new blog will be available for viewing. it will be located at the URL uncontrolledairspace.com slash blog. And uh, we're going to be uh, posting things there. We're going we're to experiment with changing the way we use the blog a little bit. In the past, we were using it very casually, very haphazardly, whenever the spirit moved us. We're going to try and be a little bit more diligent about posting stories to the blog that we find interesting. Um, things that we've, we usually post to the, uh, the legendary list, um, we may well post to the blog instead. So if you're interested in seeing what we think are the interesting stories of the aviation day, or aviation stories of the day, um, um, or maybe get a, a preview of things we may talk about on the podcast, you might want to uh, add the uh, Uncontrolled Airspace blog to your RSS feed or just check into the webpage from time to time. So uh, so take a look there, and, uh, uh, and do please leave comments. Comments are turned on, so you have the ability to add comments to any of the postings there. And that'll be at, uh, un- or it is at, by the time you hear this, at uncontrolledairspace.com slash blog. So, yeah, yeah. So Dave's one of the people who's been pushing the hardest. He likes blogging, and so we're looking forward to having a place for him to do that stuff more, that's more visible. Uh, that's it. Anybody? Any other shout-outs? Fork. Anybody? Okay. Um, this has been a good one. I have four possible titles for this episode, um, and, and when I do the editing, I may come up with more, but the four I've got right now are Tail into the Wind, 
do with that what you will. Um, I've got a boatload of 18-year-olds, which I kind of like that. That's kind of interesting. All right, we've got cuss and discuss, which I've never heard that phrase before. Um, but my current favorite, my current lead favorite is liquid fire in a can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think by acclamation, uh, um, that was the choice. Yeah. Thank you, Amy. Appreciate your flying up here this morning. Uh, Jeb's oh. going to make us breakfast any minute now, so uh, you'll get your, uh, oh, your, your compensation. Amy Laboda is uh, just desserts. Of course, a uh, freelance aviation writer and the editor in chief of Aviation for Women magazine. Amy, where can people find you on the internet? At afwdigital.org, aviationforwomen.org, or wai.org. And Dave Higdon is an aviation photographer, an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales magazine. David, where can people find you on the internet? Oh, uh, let's see. Uh, where was I last time I looked? Uh, DaveHigdon.biz, uh, AvBuyer.com, uh, AviationSafetyMagazine.com, AEA.net, uh, or kick a rock, turn it over, and see what pops up. Jeb Burnside is a freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Jeb, where can people find you on the Internet? Um A-M-F-F-N. Oh, wait a second. No, that's not it. Uh, uh, com uh, is the personal website. AviationSafetyMagazine.com is one of the day jobs. I pop up on AEA.net and uh, AvWeb.com on occasion. And I am Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. You can learn more about me at JackHodgson.com and AroundTheField.net. Thanks to Jeff Ward for creating our show notes. Thanks to Mike Morgan and Roy Searle and to the many other listeners who have created the UCLAP, UCLAP, the UCAP <laughs> disclaimer kit clips. Oh, geez. Easy for you to say. Coffee. More coffee, please. Uh, we're also very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. It doesn't need to be very much, just 10 or $15 over the span of a year is a big help. And don't forget, you can visit with all of us at the Uncontrolled Airspace website. You can read the blog, the new blog, uh, view the forums, check out the wiki, the aviation movies list, the new ratings, webpage of fame, and more. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, you have something to say? There's only one way to get to be as old and crotchety as Jeb, and that's to fly a lot because time spent flying is not subtracted from your flight span. Bye-bye. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. AMFFM. Yeah.